Welcome again. My name is Matt Odom, and we are I'm going to be talking about Matthew 17 primarily. And if you have a, a physical bulletin, that's great. We're actually not going to read that entire section that's in there. We're just going to be going down to verse uh, 5 into chapter 17. But I wanted to include uh, John the Baptist, that section in there, because we've been talking about John the Baptist over the past couple of weeks. And uh, so if you want to read that later on today, that's great. Um, again, we're talking about uh, and re- bringing to remembrance uh, those who have died in the Lord. And what I want you to notice in the text that I'm about to read is uh, Moses and Elijah, they believed in the Lord and then they died. And I want you to notice what they're doing in, in the text, because that's going to inform how we think about today and as we think about uh, those who are no longer here with us on this physical earth right now. So this is God's word to you today. It says in 16, starting in verse 28, Truly I say to you, and this is Jesus talking to the disciples, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So it's our practice here in this church to spend some moments in silence before we engage in the act of preaching now, preaching is, is peculiar because just one person is sitting up here talking, and that's what God has called pastors and preachers to do, to, to give and explain the Word to God's people. Prayer, however, is something that we all engage in, all at one time. And it's very easy to disengage if you're hearing somebody pray who has a mic, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to pray with me. And what I want us to all bring to mind is what the dead in Christ are doing right now. What are they doing? And what are we doing here in this moment? Okay, so let's spend some moments in silence and think about and pray about that. Let's pray. Lord, as we become aware of your presence, help us to know that we join with the church in ages past as we think about, meditate on your son Jesus. And 
as we think about the inevitability of our own lives and what we're heading towards, which is our own deaths, that that would not be something that we do not, um, that we don't hold that without hope, Lord, that there is something beyond the grief, that there is something beyond the void, and it's your son Jesus who has filled up all that is lacking. And as we enter that space with one another right here, help us to know that this is something that has always been, uh, which is your love, and that we may be housed in your steadfast love, which roots us and securely makes us firm and stable. And so, Lord, uh, help us, Lord, for those who believe, for those who don't. um, We all long uh, for something like this to be true for your steadfast love to engulf us, for us to be made whole again, to be at peace. And so would you do that right now? Would you give us a taste of the new creation? Would you give your people the blessing of your presence, which is the only thing that calms human beings? And so would you come now by the Spirit? In Christ's name, amen. There's a... uh, Thank you all for being here, by the way. There's all sorts of things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. It doesn't have to be worship, but you chose to come here and thank you. Um, One of the things that's very uh, pivotal to be thinking about as you enter into a space of worship is that we do intersect the seen and the unseen realm when we come together. Really, we're always doing that, but we we become hyper aware of that Uh, on the Sabbath, on Sunday, and one of my favorite episodes of uh, Chef's Table is in season one. There's a guy named Dan Barber, who's a chef in New York, and he opened opened two uh, restaurants in New York, and he said, you know, there's, there's two ways he's being interviewed in this episode and it's very, very uh, enlivening conversation. He said, there's really two ways to look at my life. You know, from a certain perspective, it's been successful. Like I've had two restaurants that I've opened in New York and they've, they've done well. And then there's another way um, to look at my life. And I don't really know how to explain it other than when I open, uh, each time I open a new restaurant, there's always this anticipation of who's going to show up, who's going to come uh, to the table And he said, I think what actually has been driving me underneath the surface is that I I lost my mother when I was very young, when I was a young boy. And I think subconsciously, the reason why I'm trying so hard to be successful is that I want my mom to come back to the table. And that's the motivating drive. I'm trying to fill a void. And he said, aren't our lives just trying to fill one void after the other? And then he said, "I'm, I'm trying really hard and I hope I succeed in doing that. And then it was like he, he pushed himself back from the table and then he like kind of took a breath and it was like he came back to his senses, you know. Um, we have these, these pivotal moments. Uh, Eric Weiner calls them thin places. There's certain things that we experience in this world that it just seems like there's more going on than what's on the surface. Celtic Christians call, called it those rare places where the distance between heaven and earth collapse. This is what, in some ways, what the sacraments point to, that there is another reality 
that is God's reality that we enter into when we worship. And you can kind of see this in, like in many, many different ways. If you're in love and you're young, young lovers know this, um, that they're more than just chemicals. They're more than just chemistry bouncing off one another, that they're more than just uh, what they have succeeded in or failed in in life. Um, and even if you, you were to go to like beautiful landscapes, you go to outdoor spaces that you just love, you go to the Grand Canyon, you go to Yosemite, um, it does not compare to what a human heart most deeply needs, which is that we were never meant to be alone and that we desperately, desperately need love and that the human heart craves it to be attached to a source of love that will never fail. And many of you know this. It is with, you know, there's this, um, it is the withness of another human being that is actually healing. That's what actually heals you. And I want to tell you what I've learned from you. Um, as so many of you have, have lost loved ones, I, I look out, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, preaching is very, very challenging because if I look at any of you in your eyes too long, I'm going to start to cry um, because your, your stories are holy. You're all so very holy. And one of the things I've learned from you, as, as many of you have lost loved ones, as many of you have, have grieved deeply, is that there is something beyond the grief there is something that transcends wounds that you've experienced. And there's something to the void that, that you all feel in those losses that is so very meaningful. And one of the things that I've learned, I learned it first from Annika Bormans, Corella, uh, wherever she is, um, when her son Joram died. I was thinking about him a lot, and I would always bring Joram up to Annika. And I told Annika once, I was like, I'm sorry if I bring him up too much to you. And she said, don't ever apologize for bringing him up. I'm always thinking about him. And that's one of the things that if you've experienced grief, when somebody comes alongside and, and names that the deceased, it almost makes that person feel more sane. Because they're also always thinking about it. It's very, very fascinating. And here's what I've come to believe about the work of the church and what a Christian community is. The church, it is the great privilege to hold each other's grief with one another, to bear that burden. And when we do that with one another, what begins to happen is what Paul calls, you begin to see in yourselves Christ the hope of glory, the hope of things eternal, which came through the grief, which came through the suffering. And that's why when we come to worship, there's always this intersection of life and death. There, there is another reality that we see in this text. When Jesus goes up on the mountain, you know, when you go up on the mountain, this is the original mountaintop experience, by the way, the transfiguration. Uh, when you go up on the mountain, the, the mountain was a place of worship in the, in the scriptures. And when you're up there, things are clear. 
Things get clear about God. And the transfiguration is uh, where Jesus shows us what's going on with him, what's going on with the dead, and what's going on with the living on earth at the same time. And what he's showing us is that this is where you're actually all wanting to get back to in the end. This is what the human heart longs to get back to. And everything that you've gone after, and every pleasure in life, and every relationship, you're longing to be at one with God and at one with one another. For the seen and the unseen realm to merge, and for everything and all things to be made whole again, to be integrated. And Jesus is showing that in him, that is exactly what's happening. The God-man. And the disciples see him, the word is transfigured, the Greek word is metamorphos, but it means to change form, to change in form. So they see that, and if you look at your text in verse 28 in the previous chapter, chapter 16, you can see part of what that means to be transfigured. It is to see Jesus coming in his kingdom, back to earth. It is to see heaven come down to earth and begin to transform things. Another way to say it is to see the great union of heaven and earth through the person of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. Now, it may sound strange to you that we should consider the way in which we are connected to the dead in Christ may sound morbid to you. But I want, I want to make a case for this, and I want to show you that that can actually speak directly into the heart of what you think about almost all the time and what you will inevitably have to face. Look at verse 2. Jesus led Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and it says that he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now what's happening there is that the, the vision of the heavenly Jesus becomes visible to somebody on earth, to the disciples on earth. And there's this vision of the Son of Man in Daniel 7. That's what he's referring to. But you also see Jesus like this in the book of Revelation. And one of the points is um, he, <laughs> he looks a certain way in heaven. And Jesus looks a certain way on earth. And both are true. And he can hold those two things together. And in Luke's account, it says that he was having a conversation with Elijah and Moses. And Luke says, gives us a little window into that conversation, says that they were talking about his exodus, which was what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And what that's referring to is that they were talking about his crucifixion. The way in which he was going to die. And what the gospel writers are communicating is that something extremely pivotal is going to happen at the crucifixion that affects the structure of the cosmos, but also affects the way in which human beings relate to one another and to God. And the exodus that Jesus is going to accomplish will be holistic in nature. It will not just be a release from the curse of the law, but it will be a release from actual bondage that the creation has been subjected to, the bondage of decay that infiltrated the world at the fall, 
that the reason why things are broken and the, w- the way that things fall apart, Jesus is saying, my crucifixion is going to speak right into that and answer it. And I will get freedom for my people and freedom for the world. And that it's accomplished through this saving act called the crucifixion. And so that's what they're discussing. They're talking about that. Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about that. Now, who are Moses and Elijah? Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. So they are very, very important names in Israelite history, in biblical terminology, very, very pivotal names. But I want to bring out something that uh, is simpler than that. Um, Elijah and Moses are simply two people who believed in God, who physically died. And they are with Jesus in this transfigured state, having a conversation with him about what's on their minds and clearly what's on his mind. And again, I believe we have a small window of how to think about what happens when we die. All those billions and billions of people who are dead, who believed in God, who suffered, who were known by him, what are they doing? They're worshiping. That's what they're doing. And waiting on the resurrection. Now, when you hear the word worship, I don't want you to think uh, praise music. Praise music's great. I don't even want you to think church service. Church is great. Um, Or sacraments. But think about what they're doing in the text. They are simply having a conversation with Jesus. They are talking with him about him. And that's what we're doing right now. That is the point of the whole deal. And what we're doing in worship on earth is that we are joining that great worship service that has always been happening in heaven. That we merge into it. Now, we only do it about one hour a week, most of us. Some of us, one hour a month. Just kidding. (laughs) But for real. Um, (laughs) The reason why you need to come back here is because you need to remember the reality in which you're heading towards. Because you forget it. C.S. Lewis um, talked about this in The Silver Chair where the, uh, the lion Aslan is trying to instruct the kids that when they go back to Narnia, things up here aren't going to be as clear down in Narnia. He says that the air is going to thicken And what you see up here is going to be very confusing down there. So you got to remember the signs. Rehearse them to yourself. Say them to yourself all the time because when you get back down there, it's not going to seem like this is true. And isn't that what happens in worship? You know, you can sit into a space like this. You can see a baptism. You can feel God's presence. And then in 10 minutes, you can be so angry at your kids. You're just like, what? Where where did that go? You know, Um, you're descending back into the broken world. And here's the beautiful part. You know, 
There's so much talk today about community or how isolated we are and how we don't have community. Um, this is the, the thing about Christianity is that it teaches that community is a byproduct of worship. Community happens on the way to something else. And the wonderful teaching here, which our baptisms point to, and this, I love this so much and is so hard to wrap our brains around, but our individual identities, <laughs> our race, our gender, our opinions, our convictions, our successes, our failures, whether we're alive or dead, is not the truest and deepest indicator of who we are. This is how the scriptures talk about who you are. The deepest thing about who you are is that you are located in God through Jesus Christ. That that is your true identity. That you are securely housed and attached to the source of life and love forever. And it cannot be stripped away from you. That that's what roots you and that's why you abound in thanksgiving. That this is what truly unites people when you are clothed with Christ and you exist in this world as a head informs the body, it all acts as one and unites. And that is how you, is that how, that's how you find deep community with other people. And uh, I know, be, like when, when you hear the phrase, um, <laughs> This is what truly unites people, Christianity. I know many of you are like, come on, man. Come on. Have you been in the church? <laughs> Have you read any history book? Christianity, religion is the most divisive thing I've ever experienced. And I think it's fair for us all to say, like, that's pretty much true on earth. But what we're called into right now is that there's, there's also this thing called the invisible church, which Jesus gives the disciples a glimpse of on the mountain. And there is something else that's true that, that the world does not have an answer for, that despite all disconnection, we long, we long for deep connection with each other. Why, why is the worst punishment you can give an inmate is solitary confinement? Why is that the case? unless it says something about the nature of who we are? Why do we desperately need to be at peace with others? And why can't we figure out how to do it? Why can't we just all get along? Scripture says, it's because of the infestation of sin in every human heart that separates instead of unites it first separates us from God, and then it separates us relationally from others, but it eventually separates us from our very selves so that our souls and our bodies disintegrate and aren't whole. And that's what Jesus has come to restore through the resurrection. That the way, I love this, the way back to each other, the way back to yourself is through him. 
And that's what Galatians is saying about baptism. And it's interesting language because it says when we put on Christ, we all become one and then we become heirs of Abraham, which means that we are connected throughout time and space to all who have known God and have been baptized into him. One, one song says it's like a mystic, sweet communion, whatever the heck that means. I like it. So, okay, so what? Um, I know we're way up on, on the mountain right now in the clouds. What does this mean? This means that the bond of love that you feel for other people, the deep desire to stay in community, to stay with people, even, even that desire that you have to be with somebody who's in the grave, you want them back, even just for a little bit. That desire to love and to be loved is actually the truest indicator of what's real. And Jesus is saying, I am what your heart most intuitively knows is true and what your heart at its core needs and wants. And he's saying, I am the union between that truth and I'm bringing heaven to the completion of what you desire. I'm bringing it down into earth and I'm going to give it to you. You know, you want, um, <laughs> you want a, a relationship without strife, you know? You want a body without cancer. You want a brain without depression or narcissism. And through Christ, uh, you, want, you want a society without injustice, you know? And... Through Christ, we get all those things back. And not just the way that they were in the beginning, but things will be transformed, transfigured, unencumbered by sin and death and separation. You know, we've never known anyone without sin. You've never known a human being without sin. And there's a day coming when the incorruptible will put on immortality and you will be like, oh my gosh, that's, that's it. The testimony of the gospel is that you are not alone. That's the whole point of the book of Matthew. At the end, Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You're securely rooted and built up in him. And the point of All Saints Day is not necessarily, this, this is the hard part, y'all, the point of All Saints Day is not to revel in the reunion of relationships that we lost at death. This is where God gets in the way of the thing that you desperately want. We certainly will get each other back. But what we had in communion with another person is just a small thimble taste of what you can have with God. It's a little mirror. And Jesus is the fullness that fills that void between us and God, but he also fills the void between heaven and earth. They were always meant to be together. And so that means that we don't have to keep trying to fill that void ourselves. And we can repent. repent repentance is a gift. It's a saving grace. You know, Peter, 
<laughs> Imagine Peter in the text, he's like, this is good. This is real good. We should build three tents. And, you know, like he's trying to commodify the thing. He's trying to like house the kingdom of God and like, you know, pawn it off. And then you know, this is what worship is. It's being silenced by the voice of God. And God's just telling Peter, Peter, stop and listen to Jesus, whom I'm well pleased in. And I'm well pleased in you if you, if you listen to him, if, if you find yourself in him. And I still remember my, my brother's uh, best man speech when I got married to Sarah. He, he said, Matt, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Sarah will reap the benefits of that. That's what Jesus is saying, is that all that you've ever lost, all that you ever are, if you come to me, everything will click into place. But if you won't, everything will evaporate. And that just, it makes sense. If he created us, then he knows how we operate, and he knows how we ought to operate with his other creations. So even if we want our parents or our spouses or our children to come back to the table like Dan Barber wants, Jesus is saying, I'll give all that back to you, but you must sincerely from the heart come to me first. Not to get them, but to get me. Everything else will fall into place. Because it's through him that the reconciliation of heaven and earth come. And so that's why we honor the saints, not because like we're doing some strange, you know, ghost thing, uh, but we're remembering that we are headed towards their reality and that Jesus is bringing that resurrection reality to us when it's all said and done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, the fact that you gave Peter, James, and John this little moment, this little glimpse of the mountain. And we ask, Lord, that as we confess sin together and as we hear the words of assurance and forgiveness, um, this, isn't, this isn't like a drag. Uh, this is what you've done. You've transformed. You've, uh, you, you've changed, Lord, suffering and grief into something that is so glorious uh, that we can't even comprehend it. And so, Lord, that we would run to repent, that we would count it our highest joy because we, what we're doing in that moment is that we are remembering our true reality that will trump every hard thing here in this earth. And so, Lord, bring hope, bring comfort, um, bring us all back together again in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.